For those of you that are here for the very first time, um, this is kind of a really exciting time to be part of our church. We have... Um, we are making some changes. For the past two years, we've met in this space, and this space has been wonderful to us. It's allowed us to put a footprint in the neighborhood. It's allowed us to grow. I mean, we're a relatively young church. We only planted in 2011. We've been in this building since 2012, and we've outgrown our space. And for the past few years, our leaders have really been looking hard, trying to say, God, where are you having us? Where are you leading us? We feel called to Oklahoma City in terms of uh, the heart of the city. We don't want to move way outside of town, but space up and down this kind of area is really hard to find. It's hard to find space that we could afford or that was big enough to, to hold us. And so through a series of kind of months, we've been looking and just sort of gave up. We had run into all kinds of options, uh, and we, those options had fallen through. And as I've been mentioned over the past few weeks, we finally just said, Lord, we're just we're done. Like wherever you are, we just want to join you, whatever that means. If that means we fold this thing up and shove it in a trailer and just go around town, fine. Whatever it is that you have for us, like we want that. And it was about that time that the Lord opened up a window and a door and opened up some space on 37th and Western, which is just 12 blocks down, right in our own neighborhood, where we're going to be able to move as a church and grow into 10,000 square feet down there. We only have 4,800-ish up here for relatively the same amount of rent that we're paying in this space. I mean, it's just that the Lord has moved in tremendous ways. But I was the last one out of all our sort of leader team, our elder team, to really buy in. And I really wrestled with it because, not because the space on paper didn't look perfect, maybe it's because my faith is shallow or whatever, but the, the real struggle I had is, trying to not be attached to the idea of moving or space or growth, but instead to really ask God, is this where you are, right? It may make sense, but is this really where you are? And I wrestled deeply with the Lord, kind of asking God, if we're going to be a church that says, we want to follow you, then you have to lead us and you have to define who we are. And we can't just march down the street with our banner saying, Hey, look, we've hit 100 and whatever people, and so we need new space, and we need new chairs, and we need new screens, and we're going to follow in the footprint of every other church. Like, that is not my heartbeat. My heart is just simply to say, Lord, where are you, and how can we be a part of that? So as I prayed and wrestled with the Lord, one of the things that came up was, as we cast vision for this, we have to cast vision about the church that we want to be. And it's not a growth strategy. It's not a, a series of things that are in church planning books to how to go from 100 to 500 to 1,000 to multi-services. Like, we have no interest in that. We only want to be faithful to what the Lord is calling us to. And so as I started thinking about casting vision, I started thinking about who, who and what is the church that we are called to be. I mean, deeply called to be from Scripture. And it doesn't have strategies, and it doesn't have movements, and it doesn't end with five campuses and 11 services and all these staff people. It doesn't end with any of that. It just simply ends with what I believe to be a scriptural call for us, right, as a community, to be about surrender and about obedience and about growth. And for the past two weeks, we've explored those first two words. We talked about surrender, week one. What would it mean if we surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and as a church, we surrendered to the headship of Christ? Not saying, what do you have for me? What expectations do I walk into my church and say, what are you giving me? I've got my kids in tow, or I've got my single thing into whatever it is, and so give me a ministry where I can feel like I plug in. And if not, I'm just going to go somewhere else, which is sort of our culture's drive with church, Right? We raise our programs up our flagpole and we try and attract believers from other churches so that we can say that we're growing. 
But the truth is, we're all just dissatisfied people moving around, trying to find a place we feel a little bit more comfortable, until eight months down the road, somebody else offers something a little better, and we move over there. We live in this consumer-driven church culture, and I deeply believe what Scripture teaches is something opposite. It teaches this idea of surrendering to the movement of God, saying, God, instead of walking into a church and saying, what do you have to offer me so that I will stay? Woo me with your programs and donuts and coffee and young people, and then I will plug my life in. But instead, walking in the doors and saying, God, how can you use me in this place? How can I exist to grow in spiritual depth and maturity and be available to be used by you in the life of somebody else? Instead of saying, God, this is about me, what if I surrendered that will and said, God, this is about you? And what if we did that together? Surrendering the lordship and headship of Christ and doing everything for God's glory, not so we could pat ourselves on the back and say, hey, look, we did this. We've done nothing, right? This is just the Lord moving. And we talked about that week one. And then week two, last week, we talked about obedience. And there were really three things I wanted to get to, but I really only got to one, right? The idea that we were going to talk about what it means to love like Jesus, to go and to proclaim. And I told you last week that I only got to the first one because I think all the others hinge on that. And we talked about what it might look like if we actually honored the command that Jesus gave us to love like he loves. And he had gathered disciples, he had washed their feet. Remember, John 13, he looks at them all and he says this, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. And we talked about what that might be if the church really existed to love not only each other, but the world in that way, with that deep sacrifice, that sort of unconditional way that says, what if we loved, and not that judgmental, hypocritical kind of way that Christians love each other, where we secretly talk about each other behind our backs or behind each other's backs, dissatisfied about whatever life group's not doing this or whatever Trev said about this or whatever they did this or how nobody ever called me back or whatever dissatisfied thing we have. But what if we existed to love each other without condition, sacrificially? We explored that. This morning, we're going to wrap up this vision and kind of put a bow on it by talking about growth, but not growth in terms of you know, size or space or buildings, but really growth in terms of spiritual growth. Because what I deeply believe I see, or what we see in Scripture, is a call that we have got to be passionate about growing into spiritual, mature disciples. That all of us that have surrendered our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ have got to be passionate about growing as spiritually mature disciples. And we have to be passionate about making disciples. The two calls of the church that we would grow in our relationship with Christ, and that we would be producing disciples. Disciples making disciples. Not converts, not attenders, not filling space, but making disciples. And so what we're going to look at this morning are what those two things really mean. What it would mean if you and I got really passionate and hungry about growing spiritual, like developed an inner hunger for knowing God's word, and growing spiritually, and what if we truly desired to make disciples? And not just to have me stand up here and talk on Sunday morning and you bring your friends. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about investing in the lives of other people, talking to them and leading them the way that Christ has led you. So this morning, we're going to wrap this vision up by talking about that. We're going to be in two places. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to be in Matthew chapter 28. 
Uh, but we'll start in Philippians 2, 12 through 13, because we're going to spend the most time on that first piece. Because I think that making disciples only comes after we've committed to growing as a disciple ourselves. And that's where most of us get hung up. That we have become spiritually content. And we become spiritually content, we become spiritually dead. So let's take a moment, let's pray, and then let's open up to Philippians chapter 2, and we'll kind of see what's going on here this morning. Lord, I thank you for uh, this church. I thank you that it is a flawed, broken group of people, myself deeply included in that mix, that have just desired to know you. And Lord, I pray that that would never fade, that our heartbeat would be to know you more and to the world would know you and that we would be a church that is committed to surrender and obedience and spiritual growth. That God, we haven't figured it out better than anybody else. We're not right and they're not wrong. God, we are all part of a unique gathering of followers of Christ, the church, Big C. Like we are all connected through Jesus Christ. And so Father, just help us be faithful to your call. Take a moment in your own heart as we get ready to open God's word and just ask him to teach you this morning or, or convict you this morning as we talk about what it means to, to grow and hunger, to be a spiritually mature disciple. Just ask God to teach your heart this morning. Pray for someone beside you, uh, behind you, in front of you, behind you, just wherever. Just find them and, and think about them. Maybe you know their name, maybe you don't. Be in the habit of praying for other people. Just pray that God would move in them this morning, that he would teach their heart. Lord, your word is living and active. It is sharper than a double-edged sword. You tell us that it penetrates even dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow, that it judges the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. God, your word is true. It is truth. And an encounter with your word is an encounter with you, and so we don't take that lightly. So teach our hearts this morning, God. And we ask this in Jesus' perfect and holy name. Amen. Two verses in Philippians. They're actually attached. Those of you that were here two weeks ago when we talked to, about surrender, we talked about Philippians 2, 5 through 11. I'll get into that in just a second. These are the verses that come on the heels of that. All right? So we're going to look at Philippians 12 and 13, and then we're going to jump over to Matthew here in a few minutes. But this is what we see, Philippians chapter 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. So anytime you see the word therefore in scripture, it is almost always a word that is connecting two trains of thought. The problem with that is that our modern day translations, we've added headers and all kinds of things in there. And we tend to break pieces of text apart that are actually meant to be together. And so that word therefore in verse 12 is actually a connector to what we talked about two weeks ago, Philippians 2, 5 through 11. 2, 5 through 11 says, if you remember right, that your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, right? But rather made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And God exalted him to the name, highest place and gave him the name as everything. Remember those whole things. That idea of having the mind of Christ and being in surrender is actually connected to verse 12. 
So because of that, therefore, in response to the fact that as followers of Christ, you are called to surrender your life to the Lordship of Christ, that every knee will bow at his name, and that your mind should be like his, that we should be being conformed into his image and his likeness in attitude and mindset, right? Because of that, as you have always obeyed and do now, even in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, throughout history, there have been some folks that have said, oh, I've got a problem with this verse. What does it mean to work out your salvation, right? Does that mean that we have to work for it? Does that mean that we have to do something to earn it? I thought that the Bible taught that salvation was a free gift offered to us. I don't really know what to do with this idea of continuing to work out your salvation, so I'm just going to skip it and get on with some other things. Don't don't ever do that with Scripture. Scripture will never contradict itself. So ask big questions and read it in context. And when you partner that, that verse with what's happening in 2, 5 through 11, and you look at verse 13, which talks about it's God working in us, causing us to will and to act according to his purpose. And we realize that Philippians was actually written to believers, the church in Philippi. Paul is writing this letter to people that have already given their life to Jesus Christ. They have already surrendered their hearts to his lordship. They have been saved and redeemed. And now he's telling them that in response to that, in response to that their attitudes and mindset should be being conformed to the image of Christ, continue to work out your salvation, that which you have already been given. Now, a lot of us have some issues with the word salvation or being saved. I mean, we're a church that are made up of people that come from pretty much every background of church you could imagine, right? We've got people that have grown up in Pentecostal roots and those that have grown up in Baptist roots or Methodist roots or, or other mainline roots, or, or maybe you weren't a church person at all, or maybe you married a Catholic and you grew up as a Lutheran and you're trying to figure that deal out, and so you just came here because it seemed like it was kind of in the middle somewhere. And so we have this kind of messed up tradition of things. And so when I teach, I always try and teach very strategically and theologically accurate so that we can start at the same places, right? Because we bring baggage to church. And the idea of being saved or the word saved or salvation is one of those baggage words. We have a lot of people that don't like the word saved because it's got this connotation of some kind of fundamentalist Baptist thing, right? Or some of us don't, never grew up in a church that didn't ever use the word because we didn't believe there was anything that we needed to be saved from. That sin was sort of just some bad stuff we did that God wasn't really overly concerned with. But the point is we all have different ideas when it comes to this word of being saved. But if you want to be really honest and really clear and really concise, being saved is probably, or the idea of salvation, one of the most central pieces in all of Scripture. The Bible teaches that we are completely and totally dead in our sin. Not sick, not dying, not struggling, but dead. And there is nothing that we can do about our condition. So God in his infinite, amazing, extravagant love sent his son Jesus, God incarnate, to die for our sin and be raised from the dead so that we might go from death to life, doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. We were drowning in dead and God saved us and rescued us. Like the word or not, it's exactly what it implies. You cannot go from death to life without Jesus, period. So when we talk about working out our salvation, right, we're talking about that idea that we were dead, that Jesus died for our sin, that we give our life and faith to him, and he rescues us. 
He does what we couldn't do for ourselves, and we are saved. And Paul is addressing a group of saved people. And he says it's that salvation that you continue to work out, right? Now, there's a big difference in working out and working for. Paul is not saying that we are called to work for our salvation. He's saying that we are called to work out what has already been done for us. Now, from a theological perspective, and I've done this and I'll do this really quickly, there are two big words and two big pieces of our salvation. There's a work that is done in us and a work that is done for us, all right? The work that is done for us is called justification. It's the idea that we were dead in our sin and God did what we could not do for ourselves. He sent Jesus to die for us and we put our faith and trust in him. We are saved once and for all, period, end of story. It is perfect and it never needs to be redone. The Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit really comes in and takes up residence in your life, and you become a new creation. 2 Corinthians, you become a new creation. That we have been justified by faith alone. Nothing you did, nothing you earned, once. A work done in us. The second part is a work done for us. Oh, I'm sorry, the first part is work done for us. The second part is a work done in us, which is sanctification. Now, sanctification is a fancy theological word that means that we are in the process of always being made holy. And remember, holiness in Scripture is not perfection. It's being set apart. We are always in the process of growing in the image of Christ, growing into followers of His. It never ends. Justification happens once, and it happens for us. Sanctification is an ongoing process that happens in us continually. We were created to grow in Christ. That once we are saved, we are created to grow. And we are called to continue to work that out. Most of us have become so spiritually content with our existence that we just exist. We, once we give our life to Christ, church becomes a habitual part of our activity. And then when we go through dry spells, we think we just probably need more to snap us out of whatever that dry spell or that passionless or that whatever time was. Because all we really want is to get past that sort of stagnant mediocrity. But we don't want, most of us, don't want a deep, growing, passionate, reckless, radical relationship with Christ. The problem is that's what we are called to have. As followers of Christ, we are called to be constantly in the process of dying to ourselves and being remade in the image of Christ on a daily basis, right? Luke talks about it. He says that when we, he uses Jesus' words, and he says we are called to deny ourselves daily, to take up our cross and follow him on a daily basis, dying to ourselves. So Paul says, listen, you are called to continually work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, fear and trembling is really just an idea of how we relate to God. God is holy and majestic and powerful, right? He is the one that Moses couldn't even look upon, that that humanity had to shudder in the presence of. He is the one that has hung the stars and created your life with his very breath. And of course, our culture has created this sort of docile image of God that is not only approachable, but that we can take advantage of. And that sort of is a little disappointed with our sin, but is really more of our friend than anything else. And the reality is, is that you can't get that image of God and read the Bible at the same time. Because in Scripture, God is mighty and powerful, and He is righteous, and He is holy, and He is magnificent, and He is wondrous. And you 
and me, we are sinful and broken. And we don't even deserve to be in the same sentence with God. And so what Paul's saying is that as followers of Christ, as disciples, we have got to be continually in pursuit of more than a mediocre relationship with Christ, but a passionate, growing, sanctified, spiritually moving life forward that understands who God is and who we're not, and that approaches God with fear and trembling, not a petrifying, I can't come close, but God, I am nothing without you. You are that magnificent. You are that amazing. We have got to be a people, a a group of followers of Christ, a church that is committed to spiritually growing. Most of our churches are filled with people that are just spiritual attenders because I've got to do whatever moral activity comes through church so that I feel better about whatever it is that I'm doing during the week. And it may not even be terrible. It may just mean I need to do that so that I feel better about the mediocrity that exists in here. You were not created for that lie. You were not created to be spiritually content ever. To ever hit a place where you go, I am exactly where I want to be with the Lord. You were created to always be in the process of being sanctified. To always hunger for more. To want to know God's word more. To want to know him more. To want to die to yourself more. It never ends and it never should. Spiritually growing disciples are always hungering to be more like Jesus. The problem with becoming more like Jesus is that it means becoming less like you. And that's petrifying. Petrifying. But we're called to it. And we're called to work it out with fear and trembling and reverence and awe. Why? Well, verse 13 says this. It says... Because it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his purpose. Now, I find this amazing. Because when you're saved, God doesn't just step into your life and do something radical for you and then say, okay, now go grow. Now go get a little better. Make sure you get the garbage out of your life and quit sinning and quit cussing and quit drinking. Quit doing all those things. Right? And once you figure that out, then you'll be a little bit happier. Make sure you stop by Mardell's once every other month and in a moment of desperation, try and buy a Beth Moore or Max Lucado book to fix your spiritual life, which is what most of us do when we feel dry and stagnant. We drive to Mardell's and we scan the aisle to find some kind of Devo that will fix me. That's not what we're created for. What, What verse 13 says is that once we give our life to Christ, his spirit dwells in us. That is he who is in us that causes us to will and to act according to his will and his purpose. So that means that God does not leave us and set us on a course and push us down the road and say, now follow me. He says, I am in you, and my will will constantly be at war with your will. And it is me working in you that is causing you to be restless. That it is my will in you that is causing you the uneasiness. The tension, that constant tension you face in your spiritual life over your financial world or over whatever relationship you're in is not because you feel bad. It's because the Lord is active in your life and he's causing you to will and to act according to your purpose. And it's rubbing up against everything that you feel comfortable with. And I love that. I actually hate that, but I love that, right? Because God has not set me on a path to just say, okay, Trev, go and figure it out now. But he says, I am constantly in you. 
I dwell in you, and I'm causing you to will and to act according to what I want. And when you don't, there will be tension and restlessness and a lack of peace in your life. And I will not relent. So if you're feeling those things, you can rest assured that your purpose and your will are rubbing up against God's purpose and his will for you. That's what Paul's saying. And working on our salvation with fear and trembling means that I am dying to me because God is God. Why would I fight him for control? He knows everything. Original point. We are called to be a church that is passionate about growing spiritually. I am not here on Sunday morning to gather and make you feel better about your life. I can't even make myself feel better about my life. We gather here to open God's word together and to worship him and say, God, how do you want to alter us today? How do you want us to grow today? There is a difference in a follower of Christ and a disciple of Christ. Scripture is full of followers, but there's a handful of disciples. But we are called to be disciples. And in those days, you know what a disciple was? A disciple was a person that gave up everything to follow a rabbi, in this case Jesus, with the intent of becoming like him. That's what a disciple was. Someone that would take up residence with someone else to become like them, to learn from them, and to ultimately be like them. The definition works for us. That's what we're called to. To not create a gathering of followers that feel good about our existence, and that's the only reason we show up, but instead to be a group of people that want to become more like Jesus. Because that's what he calls us to. But it can't end there, right? It can't just be about us getting together and trying to grow a little bit because we completely miss the point of Scripture. Matthew 28, and I'll finish this up real quick. Jump there, 16 through that last little verse there in verse 20. We call this the Great Commission, right? The Great Commission is those words that Jesus gives to the disciples. He says, you're my disciples. Now, this is what you've got to do. All right, so we're committed and called to be a church that is growing and passionate about growing spiritually. The second point of that is that it can't just be about us, though, right? At some point in time, we have to go out there and begin to make disciples. Disciples of Jesus making disciples. So this is, what, this is what says in chapter 28, verse 16, the Great Commission. Then the 11, right, because Judas had taken his own life, he had betrayed Jesus, there were, there were 12. The 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go, and they saw him, and they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. So the disciples, the 11 of them now, go to where Jesus told them to go. He says, basically, go back to Galilee. And they follow that instruction. And when they went back, they saw him. And it says that they worshipped him. Now that word worshipped, actually in the Greek, is the word proskuneo, which means they fell to the ground on their face, and they worshipped him. Now this is important, because it wasn't like they were super excited. There's Jesus, let's go give a bunch of high fives. You know, you were just crucified. We were lost. No, when they saw the resurrected Christ, they realized who he was in all of his glory and magnificent wonder, and the only response they had was to fall to the ground. Right? What we talked about earlier. Holy, magnificent, awe-inspiring, wondrous God. It wasn't a jubilate, kind of a jubilation uh, 
engagement with the disciples where everybody hugged and squeezed and said, we're so glad to see you. It was an awe-inspiring, falling-on-my-face moment in the presence of the risen Lord. They fell proskuneo right to the ground. And Jesus looks at him and he says, listen, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, right? By my Father. We saw that in Philippians 2, 5 through 11 two weeks ago, that every, every knee shall bow, that his name was above all names, that all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth, right? And I am therefore sending you. So go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them, and surely I'm with you. The call of the Christ follower is not just to grow spiritually, but to go and make disciples. Now, this is really important because I believe as a church, we are not called to go and make attenders, to go and make kind of people that are committed to just showing up so that we can show up for growth's sake and have multiple services. I want to be a church that is passionate and hungry about growing in God's word. It's why we teach through it every single Sunday. It's why we go through it word by word and verse by verse so that you will develop a passion for it and go home and want to open it. So that you will grow in your relationship with him and develop such a hunger for Jesus that you want the people in your life, neighbors, coworkers, relatives, family, to know the God that has changed you. And that you're so in love with him and his word that you want to see other people know him the way that you know him. At the end of the day, That is why we exist, to be disciples that are growing in our relationship with Christ, hungry to make disciples that are growing in their relationship with Christ. And when you couple that with surrendering to the headship and lordship of Christ and being obedient to love like Jesus, each other in the world, and to go and to proclaim and make disciples, this becomes the church that we're called to be. I don't know when we'll get there. I don't even know if I'd recognize it if we were there. Because I don't know that it's a place where you end. But instead it's a mantra or a banner that we carry forever. And it should never change. Whether it's eight of us gathered in some room somewhere, or whether it's 200 of us gathered somewhere else, this becomes who we're called to be. For the past three weeks, we've explored those things all in response to the fact that we have to move. We just do. God has grown us out of the space, and we have to find space to move. My heartbeat was that we weren't talking about space or about money or about fundraising, but instead about the church that we want to be. And we did that because it defines who we are. The reality, though, is that it's going to take all of us to make this thing happen. If we want to be the church that I've talked about for the past three weeks, if that even resonates with you at all, it's going to take you investing in this community, getting more involved than just showing up on Sunday and saying, I want to be the church not only here but out there. It's going to take all of us. If you are here because you are looking for a church that is going to give you things and serve you, unfortunately, this is not that place. But if you're looking for a church where you can plug your life in and that needs you and wants you, then this is your place. We don't have a large staff. We don't have a group of people that go around and do everything and clean everything and make sure everything's set up and work with our kids. It's just you all. 
that are so committed to seeing people know Jesus that you give your time to serve on our prayer team, our worship team, to go out to Novo, to work with our kids, to set up, to take out the trash, for crying out loud, to scrub the toilets. This is who we are. And moving into more space and growing beyond this means that all of us have got to be committed to that. And I don't say that lightly. And I'm not just talking about dollars. I'm actually talking about your life. Most of us have grown up in churches where we slide in the back and we sit and we sing and we listen and we love it. And we slide out and sometime during the week we try and find a way to connect. Whether it's a life group or a youth group or whatever. And that's not a terrible thing. But this church can't exist if that's what everybody wanted. At some point in time, somebody's got to meet that person that slid in that back row and say, we are glad you are here. Because our giant kind of welcoming staff, they don't exist. It's like me waving at you. It's because people in this church love the Lord and they love you. And we need you to be a part of that. So here's how this numbers thing works. Just so you can hear it, we're going to talk about it once, maybe next Sunday, and then that's it. Obviously, the city has a lot of regulations. They don't just let you meet anywhere. If you've ever done any kind of city zoning or coding, you can't just walk and go, you know what, I think our church is going to meet in this building. The city will say, no, it's really not. The reason is you have to have a sprinkler system. You have to have fire codes. You've got to have fire retaining walls. You've got to have exits. You've got to have egress. You've got to have handicap ramps. You've got to have all these things. If you even want to gather here, right? In a little bit of a different way, we kind of got around some of those things with this space because we're operating as open office, which is a little bit different. But when we move spaces, we have to be zoned as assembly. And that zoning means that we're going to have to have sprinkler systems that cover all 10,000 square feet. We're going to have to have all these concrete concrete egress ramps. We're going to have to have fire retention walls. We're going to have to have all kinds of things that normal churches and spaces have. And those normal spaces and things cost a lot of resources. Been around here very long, you know, that we don't have a money tree and we just sort of operate and God has always been faithful. But the truth is, is that it's going to cost us about $50 a square foot to renovate the space on 37th and Western, okay? Which, for any of you that are involved in construction, is really not that much money. Considering if we were to build, it would cost us about $130 a square foot. The problem is we're trying to renovate 10,000 square feet, Right? So when you do the math, that means that at the end of the day, we are trying to raise half a million dollars to be able to move this thing into a place where we can go and grow and be a launching place to love our neighborhood and to take the gospel out and make disciples. And there are a series of things in there that aren't sexy. There are sprinklers in the ceiling, and there are the special kind of doors that don't do this and whatever the city says we have to have so that no one dies, right, which is what we want. Because that's just a great thing, right? So it's not like we're putting in fancy bulbs and screens and our smoke machines are going to be blown. You know, we don't, we're not doing any of that. In fact, that happening to us doesn't include chairs. We're just going to have you carry yours down the road. <laughs> the truth is, is that we've just got to raise that kind of money. The timeline we're on is that we begin paying rent down there October 1st, Right? We don't have the luxury to pay double rent, so we're starting this construction process quickly. And there's going to be a weird time in the middle where maybe we go to a middle place to meet because we're not paying rent in both places. That's a lot of money. But what we're asking this community to do is to think about how you and your family can support this move financially and with your time. Because it's not going to be enough just to go, here's my $100, right? I need you 
I need you to volunteer with our kids. We're going to be giving you all kinds of opportunities to sign up for those things. I need you. And I don't just need your token check, right? We need you to put your life into this church. Here's what I'm asking. I'm asking for all of our kind of members and regular attenders. I'm looking for 95% of our attenders and members to give something. If you are here for the first time or the first 50 times, like, we don't expect this of you, right? But if you call this place your home, if this is where you are fed and where you're growing, we're asking you to give, to give something, and to give more than maybe you thought you were capable of, to actually sacrificially say, God, I believe so much in this church that I want us to be able to launch from that place, right? So the way that we're doing that is that in your chair, with the vision on it, so you can see it, is our donor card. The donor card really is a way for you and your family to take this home this week and pray about it and just say, God, what do you have for me? All right, what do you have for us? Here's the idea. We begin paying bills on that construction in October. So we love you and we're excited, but if you want to spread your $100 gift out over three years, we need it kind of quicker than that. So the reality is, is that we're asking people to do two things. We're asking you to give a one-time gift or to give that gift in monthly installments between now and the end of the year. So over the next six months, basically. So if you say, look, my family and I, we are committed to giving $600. But I don't have $600. But I can write a $100 check every month. We're going to commit to that for six months. That's great. That's wonderful. That's more than wonderful. right? But if you can give it initially up front, we're going to need it to pay bills. We don't just sit on a lump of cash laying around. The reality is God has always provided for us. We've always trusted that. And we're not going to stop now. Now, I know if you're here for the first time, you're going, man, I can't believe I walked into the church. They're talking about money. Everywhere I go, they always talk about money. We never really talk about money. But we're glad you're here. And so this is not referring to you. Unless, of course, you have a lot of it and you just want to give some of it away, right? <laughs> then no one's going to go, oh, we don't want it. You know, keep your Oh, okay, that's great. So here's the thing. We'd love for you to bring those back next week or mail them in if you're not going to be here. We're trying to gather exactly where we're going to be by the end of August so that we know what steps that's going to require of us after that. We really are looking for 95% of our members and regular attenders to give. It's astronomical. No church, I've worked at four of them, and no church would ever expect more than a 50% return, ever. I think that's ridiculous. I think that if we believe in this church together, we're part of this community, then we all should just be involved in it. So as I told you the past two weeks, hopefully uh, elders have gone around and visited with a lot of our members. And if you haven't gotten called yet, you should be getting called this week to share this vision with you personally, to go through the renderings, to show you the pictures in the back of the room. You'll see renderings and you'll see a construction layout. And you'll see the classrooms for the kids and you'll see stuff that's going to happen. I invite you to drive by. On 37th and Western, it's 10,000 square feet on the north side of that sort of long stretch of property that was Hoffman's Furniture. It's a giant building next to the United Methodist Church. Get out in the parking lot, look in the windows, pray over it. We're going to be having a series of prayer meetings and gatherings down there in the months to come. But stop by there. Look, imagine our church being in a place that we could do really great things with kids for our neighborhood. That we could live out our missional call together. So that's my hook about money, because really at the end of the day, that's not what this is about. But unfortunately, everything that we do is attached to it on some level. And so I ask you to just take the idea of surrender and obedience and growth and apply it to your financial life and see how you might 
be able to come along this journey with us. Like I mentioned, we'd love to have those back next week. Bring them with you. Put them in the offering box. You can mail them in. I'm going to be sending a message out in the city that will attach the PDF of the donor card. You can give online if you're part of the city. There is a, uh, an account. You just have to select the Everything New account, and you can give online. If you want to do that, you can even set reoccurring payments if you need to. At the end of the day, though, if you can't give a dollar, I don't want it. I just don't want it. What I want is you to buy into what we're doing. I want you to buy into what we're doing. I want you to buy into surrender and obedience and growth, and I want you to give your life. The next two weeks, people are going to stand up and say, we need people on our prayer team. If we're going to have a new kids ministry, we need people to help us. We're going to start doing youth ministry. We need people to get involved with that. This is where we need your life. Next week, we're going to dive back into Acts and begin to continue work down that path. We'll mention and keep progress up. We'll have some work days. We'll have some other kind of things. But everything changes in the next 60 days. So we want you to be a part of that ride because it is going to be something. (laughs) Amazing, incredible, crazy, difficult, all those things rolled into one. But it's going to take every single one of us surrendered to the Lordship of Christ, the headship of Jesus, obedient to love like he calls us to love and committed to our own spiritual growth and maturity so that we can go and make disciples. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for...